Hello, and welcome back to the Dear St. Valley podcast. This is part two of the interview with Councilwoman Ruth Wevenos. In this episode, Kelly and Roop discuss affordable housing and city planning with Councilwoman Ruth. So we want to talk about some, some specific topics that we feel tie into institutionalized racism, the systemic racism that the mayor and Mayor Pro Tem and a lot of the other council people say doesn't exist in Simi Valley, um, and how, you know, that systemic racism is actually embedded in these issues. So I know, I'm going to let Kelly take this one, but I know one of the things that we really want to talk about is affordable housing, because I know that's a huge kind of debacle that's going on between not just Simi Valley, it's the state in Simi Valley. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I just wanted to start off because I was born and raised in Simi Valley, and I aligned with these sort of principles of... um, you know, you work hard for what you have and you can make it anywhere. And then I went to university and started learning more about our history and how racial tensions and inequality is quite literally embedded and intertwined into our systems and the dynamic of our country. And so it's very frustrating. Um, when we bring up slavery, it's not to beat a dead horse, right? It's, it's literally because that institution has affected over 200 years of what our country is right now. Yeah, exactly, up until 2020. So before Ruth goes on about affordable housing in the Simi Valley City Council, because she has sat through those meetings, she has defended it, um, I want to give a quick history for those who say that systematic racism does not exist in Simi Valley because the Simi Valley City Council, with the exception of Ruth, has been quite vocal against affordable housing. So, quick history lesson. 1863, Abraham Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation. It's not recognized by both parties until 1865 because the Civil War goes on. We have a Reconstruction period that is then hushed by Jim Crow laws that literally tell black people where they can work, where they can live, how to be, essentially. Fast forward to the 1940s, you have World War II. You have these black soldiers who literally fight and die for this country, come back to these neighborhoods, and this phenomenon happens, which is called white flight. As these black soldiers are coming in, these white people are fleeing these communities. And when they leave, they take their money and their business with them, leaving these black communities impoverished. So once you have these black impoverished communities, the quality of the resources go down. The businesses, the healthcare, the education, the education, leaving them disadvantaged. And then you have these white and affluent suburban areas like Simi Valley. So denying affordable housing is not only classist and elitist, but it further reinforces the notion that people of color cannot be in this exclusive club because historically they have been in these impoverished communities where they cannot make up the amount of wealth, accumulate that wealth that these suburban areas have. And I take issue with this. I was communicating with a community member um, on a forum that is quite popular. I'm obviously going to maintain privacy. But along the lines of what someone had said to me was, you need to earn your place in a community. It's a privilege to live in Simi Valley, not a right. And the first question I have to that is, it's a privilege for who? For who? Second of all, earn your place in a community. You literally just need to be a human being in a city to be a part of a community, and that's it. 
I myself was not raised in affordable housing projects, but my parents came here in the 80s, got a house for $125,000, which is quite affordable as compared to the $500,000 houses, the $800,000 houses that we see in Simi Valley today, raised on food stamps, paycheck to paycheck living, and guess what? I was president of three clubs in Simi Valley, went to university, came back, started two organizations. So if we water those plants of people of affordable housing, these people are just as much community members as the richest person in Simi Valley. And I also want to reiterate that no one has to prove themselves to anyone. You don't have to be in leadership positions to prove it. You just need to be a part of this community and it's quite condescending. Um, and abhorrent, quite frankly, to reject those affordable housing because it, we're in a time where housing is just, we're in a housing crisis in California as it is. So I just want to leave it to you, um, Ruth. We're, we're in a city council that refuses to acknowledge systematic racism, but also doesn't want affordable housing in Simi Valley. And there's different reasons, right? They say they don't want to turn into the San Fernando Valley. They want to keep the hometown feel. Which they say that you're from. <laughs> so I just want to know, you've sat in on the meetings. What has your personal experience been with affordable housing and those issues? Well, the very first meeting that we had and, you know, what city council members do is we do a lot of land use. We do, you know, I'm very blessed that my dad wanted me to take a bunch of land use classes in law school. So I actually have a background in, you know, the laws of land use because I took all those classes mm -hmm. when I was in law school. Um, and so I was like, wow, I've never used my law degree as much as I have like now on the dais because I have this background in, 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 in legal land use. So, um, and a lot of what we do is land development, uh, approving the land development. We do have planning commissioners. Which sounds boring. It's something it that does I really sound boring, doesn't it? You're it's, like, oh it my gosh, It's like one boring. of those things where people are like, well, why should I care about it? <laughs> it's like, well, you should because this affects you and this affects you if you want to have a family in Simi Valley. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like things with affordable housing. So one of the first meetings that I had, there was a land, uh, there was a land development project that was coming forward and they have to go through, if you're going to change the zoning, you have to go through something that's called a pre-screening. And just in the two years since I've been elected, there has been a lot of change in the California state law, but pretty much because we have a housing crisis in the state of California. Mm -hmm. And, and just to make it very clear, I believe, I personally believe that housing is a human right. Everyone has a right to housing. Yeah, last time I checked, there wasn't an application that you had to fill out to limit. <laughs> no, um, there isn't. But the very first meeting that I had, you know, people came and said, we don't want this development because, you know, we don't want to turn the San Fernando Valley. And right then and there, like, I'm like, that's it. And so I said... Can you also explain why that's a racist argument? Because I yes. saw on another community forum the other day that someone was like, well, maybe they're just saying that because the San Fernando <laughs> Valley has this, but no. And I was like, no, it's been used as a racist yeah. argument by the city council so for a long time. So uh, it has been used by, by residents and city council members have used that as well to say, we don't want to turn to the San Fernando Valley. And the implication there is because the San Fernando Valley is so ethnically and racially diverse mm -hmm. and socioeconomically diverse that we don't want those the other people so we don't want you know latinos we don't want black people we don't want poor people we don't want you know we don't want the other here and so there's that implication so i clarified right away at the very first meeting i said i just want to well they want stop. to be able to yeah. go there they i said want i want to, to stop. go there yeah when they want to eat their mexican food yep. and then mm -hmm. you know eat their burritos and then come back to their white neighborhoods they want to go eat indian food 
and then come back to their white neighborhoods where they don't have to see those people. They want to go eat curry and then tell people they smell like it, right? Yes. And that's, you know, what they mean when they say, oh, we're going to turn this place into San Fernando Valley, blah, 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 blah. And so... Well, and even the argument that, you know, people are going to come here if we offer support for homeless. I'm like, <laughs> you know... Really, and I and I know because I have students and families that are homeless. Mm -hmm. They do not want to come to Simi Valley because they're they lack in the support for homelessness here that they could get in Reseda or Chatsworth or you know Northridge anywhere in the San Fernando Valley that you would go. There would be access to housing and support. And and I know because I teach those students that are homeless. Mm -hmm. So I I never say hey come to Simi Valley if you're homeless because there's so many more resources here because that's not true. They would rather stay. I'm like no Mija in Reseda in Northridge in this. Is where there are access to resources if you're homeless so people are not rushing to Simi Valley for the resources that we provide that that is a fallacy uh, that is blatantly untrue but I basically laid it out and I said I would guess that a vast majority of the people that live in Simi Valley would not be able to afford to live in Simi Valley were not for the jobs that they have in San Fernando Valley with LAPD or LAUSD and I said and by the way there are a lot of wonderful neighborhoods in San Fernando Valley, and yes, I was born and raised in San Fernando Valley. Um, uh, yes, <laughs> and I have to tell you, and I've taught, I've taught in San Fernando, in Silmar, in Northridge, and now I'm teaching in Reseda and, and Pacoima. And I, you know, when I got to Reseda, I'm like, ooh, what culinary adventures are, you know, are, are in Reseda? And so I was like, oh my gosh, there's Jamaican food here, this and that. And I, you know, and I loved the neighborhood. I loved Reseda, and it's like every. Every neighborhood is, has its own flavor and, you know, appeal. And, and business, like, yeah. the thing is, is they want to talk so much smack about the San Fernando Valley. Businesses are staying open in yes. the San Fernando Valley. Yes. Businesses mm. are staying open. Like, I can, every single Indian, Indian shop, Indian grocery store, Indian restaurant, almost all of them that I used to shop at, that my family used to shop at when we were younger, is out of business. It doesn't exist. I think there's like one in left. Simi Valley. In Simi Valley. Oh wow. The one that we the what the main one that we used to use all the time on, on I think it was on Top of Canyon, um, by the McDonald's over there. Um, it's gone. It's like an aquarium store now. Um, oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, but that's where we used to get you know a majority of our. Um, Indian groceries and now you know there's like Viacta and stuff like that that they carry yeah. Indian groceries but now you're having to go there and that's one of the issues and you ask why should local people care about local politics is because it is increasing the traffic and I don't know a person that does not care I don't know someone says I love traffic it's fun like everyone hates traffic right so that's a universal issue no matter what your socioeconomic status is is that people do not want to spend more time in traffic and all the studies from the Ventura County Community Foundation which they do every two years and you can look it up um, show that traffic is increasing and so one of the things the state of California has done in their new RENA which is a regional housing needs assessment that every city every municipality in the state of California has to pass is they're now now not just looking at the number of affordable low-income like the different units that you are building so not just allowing them to be, you know, rezoning, but then actually having them built and constructed. But they're also looking at commute times because remember, California, we are and have been for many years on the forefront of the environmental fight to make sure because we have, you know, high rates of people with asthma, we have high rates of people with respiratory issues. Now with COVID, it's even more important. I mean, it's like a, you know, triangular disaster year where you have an environmental disaster with the wildfires, with, you know, health issues. And so having more traffic 
um, you know, just increases the rate of respiratory issues that people have, which makes it more likely I mean, that they I will die of COVID. Yeah. I work in Westwood, which is right off of 405, and I know every time I go out there, I'm like, is that clouds or is yeah. that clouds? Like, I don't know what's going on. And the air quality has, has gotten, you know, worse with the wildfires that we have, which we know is caused by climate change, not by forest management. So, um, you know, we, we have to be on the forefront of this because we are feeling the impacts of it and it is, we are paying the price in our healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to, it, it's all connected one to the other. So they're looking at the state of California is now telling municipalities, you have to look at the commute times. So the longer people commute and every year has gone up. So the amount of commute times for people coming to Simi Valley, whether they are employees or residents has increased every single year. The commute times for Ventura County residents has increased every single year. And so that is one of the factors that now the state of California is telling municipalities you have to include when you look at housing, because if you have affordable housing in the municipality, then people aren't going to commute. They aren't going to have to commute all the way from Bakersfield, Lancaster, where they can afford a house or they can afford an apartment um, because that's what is increasing the, the, the commute times is that people have to move further and further and further away to continue to have a job or continue, you know, to, to be in Simi Valley. And that's what we're seeing. And so if you're, if you're worried about traffic and you're wondering, you know, why is the traffic so bad, even if you care nothing about affordable housing, but you hate traffic, then this issue should be of paramount importance to you because that's the reason why we're having so much traffic. And building and expanding the freeways as much as we can and having all the buses and scooters is not going to help. The only thing that will help is having housing nearby for the workers that work in that area. And then ju them just saying, you know what, we don't need, I don't need a car. And that's why I was very much, you know, against the single family homes at the farmer's building, at the farmer's, uh, old farmer's building where that was, because it's the last 13 acre parcel. Is that what they're doing there? Yes. And, and I voted know, against if you, it. If you're in Simi Valley, you've probably seen um, next to Target, there, there was that old farmer's building. If you're young, you probably don't remember it. But, um, <laughs> there's that old, huge farmer's building. I never really knew what it was. It was seven. Store. It was six stories. It was huge. Yeah, it was like, oh my God. The like, tallest building in Simi Valley. Valley. It's just a pile of dirt right yeah. now. So. <laughs> but I was, I was very much advocating for, I said this is a perfect place for apartments, at least part of it to be apartments. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because we need it. There's like the vacancy rate at our apartments is like less than 2% and it constantly has been less. It's like there are no vacancies at any of the apartments in Simi Valley. They're all rented out. And so when we had people starting to come with creative ideas like the SROs, the single residence occupancies, and um, you know, when this farmer's building came up, I said, oh my gosh, we, we need to put at least some apartments here. And it's, it's a perfect place. It's along a transit corridor. It's on Cochrane. It's in what is considered organically the heart of Simi Valley. Even though we have a mall, but the mall is like, it's way on the west side. It's up it's above like right, the hill. right in the middle. Yeah, but this, this shopping center, so I'm talking about the area on Cochrane between Sycamore and Sequoia, has organically become like the heart of Simi Valley because we're a very long city, right? We have the east end and west end of Simi Valley, and that's the middle, right? That Sycamore, Sequoia area is, is the middle of Simi Valley. So it would have been perfect to build apartments there because you have all the people working at Target, at you know all the, all the restaurants Trader there, Joe's. Red's Barbecue, Trader Joe's. You have like three gyms there. You have a YMCA there. You have a, a high school. Santa Susana is like two blocks down the street. You have an elementary. And it's also and right Simi High and Royal. Yeah, and I'm like, well. you wouldn't even need a car. Like if I was, if I were working at Target, I wouldn't need a car. 
because I have a grocery market, I have a Target, I have the gym, I have schools. Like, I would not need a car. I'm not that far from Aldi or, yeah. or Ross mm. on the other side. Everything is within walking distance. And so I was like, this is a perfect place for apartments. And when I spoke to, you know, the, the developer said, why can't you have any affordable? And every, with the exception of one, every housing development that has come before us, I have asked for affordable housing. Can you give me one affordable housing? Two, three. Like, I'm sitting there negotiating, right? Can you give me 10? Can you give me five? How many affordable housing units we have? Because... We have to have housing for our workforce or we're going to continue to increase the commute times. And if you do not like traffic, you need to care about this issue. And younger people, right? Because what are the alternatives that they're giving you when you ask for affordable housing? They're building more old folks homes. They're building more... Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of, um, you know, senior care. And I've had families come to me and they're like, <laughs> no, no offense to seniors, okay? But I've had a lot of people like... You know, I have a, a four and a six year old and like everyone around, like there's a senior home to my right, a senior home to my left. And there's like no kids left on my street. Like I want to see young children. Well, Simi Valley is getting older and older, correct? It is. But the new people, there are people that are moving out because right now the housing is very expensive. So we're, we're at the high end of the market. So what people are doing, and I've had three neighbors just in the past four months that have sold their homes for the highest market value that I've ever seen. And so they're selling their homes and then moving to Colorado or Texas or South Carolina where they can buy like a mansion and still have money left over, right? With $600,000. Um, and so they're selling their homes and moving out and the families that are moving in are younger and more diverse. And so, you know, the change is coming regardless of whether or not people want it or not. And so my kids were so thrilled when our neighbors sold their house because they're like, children, right? They were so excited to see children. And I have colleagues that have tried to buy in, uh, you know, buy housing in Simi Valley, but they have been outbid by investors. And we had an issue with this because we had blighted houses. We had to pass an ordinance earlier this year saying, you know, if there are blighted houses that people own and they, we can't get in touch with them because they have died or they've moved away or they just don't care about this house they own in California. And now it's overfilled with rats or, you know, this or that, like it's a blight and the neighbors are all complaining. We didn't even have an ordinance to address that issue. So we had to pass an ordinance in the city of Simi Valley saying we have the, giving ourselves the authority to take over that blighted house wow. because we couldn't get in touch with the owners of that home because they were clearly like investors or had inherited the property and they didn't care that it was blighted. And so it is an issue because it impacts everybody else's, you know, homes around the area because you don't want a house next to you that's full of rats. You'd rather have a family there, you know, that's that's going to live there and enjoy the home. But that's what happens when you have all these, you know, investors that come in and purchase all these properties because people are looking for places to put their money. So not just out of town, but out of country investors who are like, where do I put my money? Where do I invest it in? And real estate has always been a really safe place for people to invest their money. But we, at one point we had 26 different houses that were blighted that we had to figure out what do we do? And so we actually took one over as a city, you know, um, so that we could figure out you know, we need to, we need to rehabilitate this house. And so as the housing stock gets older as well, we need to figure out how do we rehabilitate these homes so that they are livable and so that families can come in and then contribute to the businesses that are around because it is families that spend the most money. It is moms that determine how most of the money is spent. Every research study has shown that. And so we need to have more family-friendly housing. One of the things I ran on one of my platforms was having diverse housing. So not these McMansions, not these, you know, $800,000, $1.2 million homes. I think another... Famous person just bought like a $1.5 million well, that's house thing. in that's one ranch. thing is they keep saying we don't want people from LA to come here. And when they say that, this is your proof that they're talking about black and brown people <laughs> to be affordable housing because they're fine with like 
Steven Spielberg buying yeah, a house. Yeah. Here they're fine with building mansions and having the richer white people come down from Beverly Hills because they don't want to spend 5.5 on a mansion where they can spend like 1 million on a mansion here that that looks the same. Um, and so that's another like... But that also hurts group. our economy because those are not people that are going to spend money here. Mm. They're still going to go shop at yeah. Topanga exactly. Plaza. Yeah. They're going to go shop yeah. somewhere else. They're not going to shop locally. And so that hurts our and economy gonna even more. locally either. Right. Mm. So we want families here because A, they spend money and B, they spend money locally and they're going to support local businesses. And so that is what is hurting us as well is not having that. And that's why I, I have advocated for diverse housing. So having more duplexes and triplexes, yeah. starter homes. We don't homes. need any more big skies. <laughs> no, we don't need any more big skies. And then having people who are growing older who no longer need, I, you know, if you're a single mom and your kids have had their children, you don't need a four bedroom mini house, nor do you want to maintain that. It's too much work. And so you want to move to something smaller like a duplex or a triplex, something that it's just you and it's smaller. Uh, maybe an extra room for the grandkids, right? Yeah. But when that costs as much as Living your house yeah. is worth, then those people are not going to move out. And that's why we need the diversity of housing. And our housing stock is very old as well. So we need housing, but we need diverse housing. Um, you know, and, and some of these developers have had these, you know, have had 8, 10, 12 years to build these homes, these McMansions, and they haven't done them yet because they're just waiting for the market to be right. So I'm like, well, you're not doing a service to the community what you care about is making money. And since you haven't been able to make money, like I'm not going to continue to extend that courtesy that I gave you 12 years, you know, that you were given 12 years ago to build this because you haven't found the right time to make the most profit because my job is not to help the developers make profits. My job is to care about the health and safety of the community and the environment. And I do not want to continue to build housing into wildfire zones mm -hmm. um, because that's not what we should be doing. That's why I was advocating for denser housing on the valley floor, which would have been the farmer's building. That would have been a perfect place for denser housing uh, where you could have reduced the amount of cars by building that there for the workforce. Um, and it, it's not a wildfire hazard. Again, it's on a transit corridor, on the valley floor, but not building out into the hills, which a lot of people really want to maintain in Simi Valley as well. We want to maintain those hills, that beautiful view that we have, the hiking trails. Um, and so how do you do that? By building denser housing on the valley floor and making it accessible to everyone, people who are going to work. If you don't have a car, if you don't have a car payment and insurance, think of how much more money you have to spend to go out, to eat, to spend on stuff in Simi Valley. And that's what we want to encourage. So I am really thinking long term. I'm thinking 10 years, 20 years down the road. I'm thinking about my children, the next generation and your generation, you know, and what you will invest and what you will bring to the community. And we have to do that. We cannot keep punting our responsibility down the road and then just saying, well, you guys spend for yourselves. That is long, unfair. How long has the mall just been a desolate place of nothing? Because oh. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when that was a mall, when they had, like, hip stores there that people would drop at, like, Forever 21, Urban Outfitters, all that. Um, I remember that. And then I also remember at the, when it just slowly started, you know, one store mm -hmm. went, the other store went. And now all that I remember for as long as maybe when I was, I think like when I was in middle school when it was like really popping. And now 
for as long as I can remember. I mean, I worked there. I worked at a store that's there right now. Um, you know, one of the only stores that's there right now that drives any traffic, and we didn't get any traffic. So, you know, working there at a retail store, we used to get in trouble over, like, why are you getting sales? And I was like, nobody's coming here. Like, how am I supposed to sell anything when nobody is coming here? And it's like, it's, it's not like we don't have the space, is what I'm saying, for affordable housing. It's not like the space isn't there. It's like, are you going to do something with this mall, or can we turn it into something else? Like, Well, I think it's lacking two things. I think the mall is lacking green space. We have this obsession in Simi Valley, and I do call it an obsession with parking. We need to have 800,000 parking spaces for, for like 30 people. people that <laughs> and it's just, and anyone you for talk like, to in planning. Like three stores. Yeah, there. they're like, we need, like, well, what if, like, you know, there's a Black Friday sale and a thousand people come? It's like, okay, well, then they will deal with it. Right? <laughs> it's like, we do not need that much parking. And so we have, and again, it's contributing to the climate change because you have these miles and miles of blacktop parking spaces, which you don't need. So we do not have the green spaces, and the mall is no longer a destination. I, too, remember when it was a destination, and I would go there intentionally with my younger children because they had a playground. They had the koi pond. Yeah. Like, there was some semblance of green spaces, at least it was. Uh, but we also had the owners, and they're not the current owners. Uh, now we have different owners, but the, the owners uh, when who had initially bought it would invest in the landscaping and the you know and upkeeping it making it look nice and whatnot making it a destination it is no longer a destination no one wants to go there there's nothing pretty i see a lot of head shaking <laughs> there's nothing pretty about it there's no stores that you really want to go to um you know they they have you know the batting cages dance studios and things like that and so if your kids are enrolled in those classes you go there but they even have then, Ulta and marshall's and that's it yeah, and that's yeah. Marshall's but here's the thing the you know what would revive that mall Portos. If we put a portos oh in there, if we put an 85 degree bakery, if we put like literally we have like, literally like one bakery in Simi Valley. <laughs> and I love Skips, by the way. I want to support local business. I love Skips. I think they're great, but it, it's one bakery, yeah. literally, in the entire city well, of 127,000 so, so people. Of that. There's yeah. so much of that that we could bring in because, yeah, there's like a lot of Mexican restaurants. There's like, well, I won't say a lot. There's, I think there's a lot of Mexican restaurants. There's a, I think there's a couple Indian restaurants right now. And there's a couple times We have one Mexican bakery, one panaderia on all of Simi Valley. Like, that's so sad to me. But I want also, variety. <laughs> yeah, this is another segue into another topic, which is city planning. And yeah. everything mm. closes at 9. And I don't oh, think yes. people understand the racism that is behind <laughs> that. Because if you, if you think about it, who is getting off work before 9 to feed their kids to go to a, to go to a restaurant that closes at 9? It's people that work 9 to 5 jobs. Who works 9 to 5 jobs? People who work usually corporate jobs that are working at a desk who can afford to work like corporate jobs, but people who are working odd jobs where they're not getting off work until 9 p.m. or later, and they don't have time to come home and then cook food for their family, they don't have a place to go. A restaurant, there's maybe like two, like your choices are like McDonald's, in and out no, there's a taco place. It's open until 2 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> An yeah. Like, yeah. There's one taco place. It's open until 2 in the morning. Everyone's shaking their head. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we know I, where I that is. On, I go on Yelp and I didn't do open. There's like two options, but still it's like, that's ridiculous. And it's like a lot of people who don't want those two options or who are often getting off work and they're like, you know what? I don't want to go to the same taco place I go to every single And day. so that's more lost revenue because our residents will go. So they're like, well, I'll just go or, to. Or yeah, I'll just go somewhere else. And so I've asked business owners, like I've asked restaurant owners, like, why don't you stay open until 10? Like, just try it. You know, just try it. Try it for a week. See what happens. Um, and they're like, well, but everyone else closes at night. I'm like, if but you don't like, have to be like everyone a, else. You can be your own restaurant. Correct? <laughs> I think it, it requires permits and money. No, you can stay open later. 
Really? Yes. There is no. There is nothing Be preventing. Different. Be different. There's, <laughs> there's nothing preventing up. you from staying open later. And like, I mean, you. I said the taco place that's open until two in the morning. I, I can't remember mm -hmm. the name of the restaurants right now, but everybody knew where there was. And everyone's lying there. Yeah. yeah. And I remember telling people like, uh, I remember when my friend checked me, and it was like ten, and we were. I don't remember. We were doing something, some kind of event. It was ten. And I'm like, and he goes, come on, I'll treat you to tacos. I go, everything's closed. He goes, not this place. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's tacos at 10 at night. I was so excited. Um, and now that restaurant has doubled in size, by the way, when I first came to Simi Valley, it was like one little stall and they got like, they doubled the space. And now they have outdoor space too. And I'm like, this is how popular it is. If you would stay open later, people would come. And I would, I would help advertise for you. You're open later. Um, and as a teacher, I've always brought this up because um, there's only like a couple places that we can go. Even our Starbucks closes at night. I'm like, it's Starbucks. Why are you closing at night? Um, and it's just this mentality. Everything needs to be closed. And to me, as a minority, it, it just strikes a like uh, this whole sunset town kind of feel. And grocery stores too, so you can't yes. even go grocery shopping. Because I went, I, I lived in LA for two years for school, and their grocery stores are open until 12, 12 a.m. Because people are either getting out of class or they're getting off work really late in LA. And so, you know, people need to go to the grocery store later than 9 p.m. Because if you're working, like, on odd hour jobs you're either taking care of the kids in the morning and then you're going to work you don't have time and you might only have time in that one like one hour window between nine and ten but all the grocery stores are closed yeah and then you're like okay well let me go to a restaurant well all the restaurants are closed <laughs> okay well then i guess i'll go to chatsworth and i'll drive to pick up food for my family because my family has to eat or i'll go to mcdonald's yeah the only two places that i know of, besides the taco place that are open till midnight is tgr fridays and studio movie grill that's it mm. I don't know of any. Those are the three places I know that are open till midnight. In and out is open until one a.m. Oh yeah, and In and Out. Yes, after that yeah. one, that long faded us fifty four meeting, then line in In and Out was really long. <laughs> and I love In and Out, but I was like, oh my goodness, like this is, these are our options. So it, it it's the mentality of we're catering to this specific group of people, but not to the entire community, and that's what I'm trying to push the narrative, I'm trying to open the boundaries to say, you need to include the entire 127,000 diverse community mm. of which there are working families, working mothers, working fathers. Um, there are workers, you know, who are single, who are like, I want to go have a burger at 1030. I want to go do something fun, you know, that's not skateboarding, right? I, I want to go enjoy being young because my curfew is not nine, yeah. right? And, and so... We have we're losing a lot of revenue because of that because of and that then you attitude. And into the problem where there's nothing to do for the kids around here, yeah. and then they're getting in trouble. And then people are like, "Why are the kids getting in trouble?" And it's like, "Why are they running around the street?" Because they don't have anything to do here. Why are the kids going to LA? Why? Like, even me, I'm 23 years old, and I can't. There's nothing for me to do here. Like, I have to go out to LA. Imagine if there was a hit happening bar that I could hang out around here. I don't have to worry about driving. I don't have to worry about driving home, you know, I don't have to worry about... And we you know. have that. It would be so easy to do that. I cannot... I, I know there is a perception that Simi Valley is like, it's just a bunch of retired cops. Okay. The, uh, we I have a lot of teachers. We have a lot of teachers. We have a lot of healthcare workers that live in Simi Valley. We have a lot of... Um, uh, so there's education, healthcare workers. Yes, we do have firefighters. Yes, we have police officers. But we have a diverse group of people, but engineers. we also have people who work minimum wage jobs that aren't just kids right. in high school. We have mm -hmm. people that are working minimum wage jobs to survive people with families, the older people that are working these minimum wage jobs. My dad is a business owner. He employs a lot of these people that are older and they need 
they work paycheck to paycheck, they're earning minimum wage, they're living in garages, they're living in people's garages, they're living in people's basements, and those people are obviously profiting by charging them way too much rent to live in a garage, but they don't have another choice because they can't afford an apartment, they can't afford a house here, so they're living in somebody's garage, and, you know, they're having to take that into account when they're like, well, I have to drive to work, and I have to, you know... And that's contributing to, you know, the, the, the issue again with COVID, if we come back to what's happening right now, yes. is that... You have families, if you look at everywhere around the country, but especially here in California, you have higher rates of death and fatalities among black and brown communities because you have to have two or three families living in an apartment or in a house to be able to afford to pay the mortgage or the rent. Because there is, and so when you want to quarantine, you can't. How do you quarantine when you don't have access to your own bedroom or your own bathroom? You, you can't. And so it just spreads very quickly. And then the access to healthcare is very limited, and you may show up as a black or brown woman, and then be told, "Well, just endure the pain." Right, but but going know. back to housing, you know that all of this impacts. You know, again, the traffic. Everyone cares about traffic, mm -hmm. but it impacts also businesses coming to the city because if you do not have housing for your workers, whether they are janitors or technicians or warehouse workers, if they are having to commute all the way from again Lancaster, Bakersfield, Oxnard. You're increasing the traffic, you're increasing the smog, you're increasing the climate change, you're increasing the poor air quality, and you're increasing you know, the asthma and all the respiratory issues that we have a high rate of already in Ventura County. So that's why affordable housing because it impact, is important because it impacts our health, it impacts the wildfires, it impacts the climate change, it impacts respiratory issues that we have. Uh, and the rate of COVID deaths and, you know, the risk that we have due to COVID. We're still in the first wave of COVID. The second wave hasn't even started yet. But th that is what's so important. We cannot attract businesses if we do not have housing for their workers to live in. So, if you know, Amazon just opened up a warehouse, but, you know, they don't pay a lot of money at Amazon. Where are those workers going to live? You know, that senior care facility that they're going to build on top of. Um, I said, that's great, but I looked at all those jobs and they were paying $13, $14, $15 an hour. I said, where are those workers going to live? Are they going to have to commute in from somewhere else? And where is that somewhere else from? And again, if we're not investing in, in affordable housing, then we have to invest in public transportation, mm -hmm. preferably both, right? Mm -hmm. um, but those are all issues that impact. You can build all the businesses you want and the housing you want. Someone's going to have to clean it and take care of it and maintain it and where are those people going to come from and if you're continuing to tell them you have to have cars and this and that again we have to have a better long-term plan we cannot sit here and plan things you know flying by the seat of our pants we have to think about 10 years 20 years 30 years down the road i'm on the board of directors for the clean power alliance because nobody else in city council wanted to think about long-term energy planning except for me. And so I'm like, I want to be a board of director for Clean Power Alliance because it's all about renewable energy, which is where we are headed in California yeah. and as a, as a nation and hopefully globally that we have to invest in renewable energy. I have asked twice already, you know, can we make the default rate 100% renewable energy? Because this is your future that I'm thinking about, my children's future that I'm thinking about, that I don't want you to have asthma. I don't want you to have these respiratory issues. I don't want you to have all these wildfires and be worried about that. And we have existing problems like the Rocketdyne. Yeah. yeah. The Rocketdyne situation, which got, there's been people in this community that have been asking for help from the government for so long. Please help us. People are getting cancer out of nowhere. You know, the water, you know, we're afraid to drink the water. You know, when there's fire and we have that, you know, toxic, it's already toxic because it smells, but then it's even more toxic because it has, you know, these radioactive fumes that are going into it. And it took a Kardashian to yes. tweet like, oh my god, this is so like, this is so infuriating. My kids go to school and they have to, you know, deal with 
this rocketine situation with the smoke and it's like our kids go to school on top of rocketine you know and nobody cares then nobody cares that there's like weird cases of you know cancers popping up here but now that the kardashian is tweeting about it every all of a sudden everybody cares mm -hmm. so we we've, we've been waiting for over 60 years for the cleanup of the rocketine santa susanna field lab mm -hmm. um in case you did not know the history um, Santa Susana Field Lab slash Rocketdyne is where NASA tested, you know, hundreds of rockets. So one of the you know, biggest nuclear disasters. Yes, in and the it is considered even bigger than Three Mile Island nuclear disaster because it was all open, like the sodium reactor and everything was in an open pit. It wasn't like they were in an enclosed building where they were testing these rockets. It was out in the open. So this is an unincorporated land, which is mostly Ventura County, but a part of LA County as well. But it all sits above Simi Valley. So whenever it rains, whenever it's or windy, the train station, yeah, right up there. Whenever there's fires, you know, the concern is always how much of that is getting down to us in Simi Valley and all the cancer clusters that we're seeing in Canoga Park and West Hills and Simi Valley and Thousand Oaks and you know all these parts of Ventura and LA County that are suffering the effects of this and they made a promise in 2010 NASA Boeing and the Department of Energy all signed a legally binding agreement in 2010 that they would clean up to background levels which means they would clean up 90 to 100 percent of the radiation that was left up there they have done zero they have demolished buildings but they have not cleaned up any of the radiation. Because I want to clarify that. People said, well, they've demolished buildings. That's not cleaning up the radiation. No. Demolishing buildings does not mean you clean up the radiation. That just means you tore down some buildings. But that does not mean that you've cleaned up any of the radiation that is percolating into our groundwater that causes so many of the health issues that we're all suffering. And I'm very passionate about this issue because I myself am a cancer survivor. I had stage two um, melanoma, uh, one of the, de the deadliest skin cancer that exists. And I'm always going to have to look over my shoulder whether or not that cancer is going to come back. Yeah, the reverse osmosis system um, that, you know, some people have suggested um, has has been known to, you know, filter out some of the, the perchlorates and things like that. But, the, you know, the strontium, the tritium, the, you know, all the radiation causing, it, it doesn't filter that out. Um, and so... We have, and I've seen it year after year after year as a, as a youth mentor, you know, having volunteered at Girl Scout Day Camp like every year for a decade and having been a Boy Scout mentor, like I have more and more youth every day that have corn allergies and flower allergies and look at how many people have skin allergies and look at um, teeth, dental issues. We have so many dentists in Simi Valley. I did not put two and two together until I went to one of these meetings on San Susana Field Lab and uh, a, someone who's now a friend of mine told me about how her daughter's teeth fell out, were falling out when she was four. And so she had this weird condition where her teeth got really chalky and they were falling out and she had to go to UCLA dental specialist. And the same thing happened with my daughter when she was seven. And her, her, all of her permanent molars were all chalky and they were going to fall out and they had to put temporary crowns when she was seven years old and she was going to lose all her permanent molars. She just recently got all of those molars. She got permanent crowns now as opposed to temporary crowns. But that cost me $2,000 out of pocket with dental insurance that I have through my employer. But I mean, who can afford $2,000 for crowns, right? So we are paying the price exponentially the fact that the hospital wants to increase its breast cancer you know unit tells you something and so we're still paying the price i am not going to forget the memory of eliana rose a five-year-old girl who died of neuroblastoma cancer that is only caused by exposure to radiation the fact that her grandfather now has the same kind of neuroblastoma radiation caused cancer or the fact that hazel didn't even make it to her eighth birthday and she died of the same kind of cancer um, i'm not going to forget them
I will keep fighting this fight. I will fight it every day and every way and until the very top. Um, I know the Trump administration said they will break. They will not, uh, you know, clean up. They're only going to clean up to the suburban residential levels, uh, which means they're going to leave 90% of the contaminants up there. And they really want to turn it into a hiking trail, uh, which I think would be horrific to have people hiking through radiation. And you how know. long ago did this happen? This happened 60 years ago. And so not only did you have the nuclear meltdown, right, of one of the sodium reactors on the facility that's outdoors, but in addition to that, they they would take the toxic waste of all the you know remnants of the testing of the rockets, the rocket fuel and everything, and they would put all these chemicals, these toxic chemicals in barrels and then shoot it. They would shoot the barrels of toxic chemicals and then these clouds of toxic chemicals would go all over the place. And the people that, that are getting it are uh, people that are workers. So one of the, one of the girls that I talked about, um, um, Ileana Rose, her father was demolishing one of the buildings, Did, didn't get any protection. No gloves, no masks, no nothing. I mean, at the, you know, working with radioactive you know, and that building neighborhood parts. right under is up and coming. It's yes. an up and coming neighborhood with a lot of people moving there with their kids that are having kids, a lot of families that are moving up there. And, and if you right look, there, if you look at, and this is where my land use law background comes into play. If you look at the covenants that are in that, when you and most people do not read those fifty page. You know, when you buy a house, you have like a thousand pages. I'm one of those. You know, people that I will read it, and they're like, "Are you reading?" I'm like, "Yes, I am." Am I signing this? Then I'm reading it. I want to know what I'm reading to. But in the covenants, it says that you are not allowed to grow any uh, fruit-bearing trees or vegetables on that land. And you want to, you should want to know why. Why don't you want me to grow zucchini or apple trees on my land? And if you don't know why, you should find out why. Why don't you want me to grow fruit-bearing trees on this land? Because there's a reason. There's a reason why they don't want you to do that. And so you have to ask why. You have to question things. And that's why, to me, you know, we have to be, I've always said as a teacher, I want, I, you know, I don't care so much whether or not you memorize facts and dates, but I want you to be critical consumers of information. Mm -hmm. I want you to leave my classroom questioning things. And if you leave with more questions and answers, then I have done my job. I think I'm a great teacher in that regard because I want kids to question. And so many times we tell the kids, I told you so or because I said so, and we take away the sense of curiosity, and then they just, you know, blindly accept whatever it is spoon-fed to them. And I don't want that. I don't want you to agree with me. I want you to question it. Even question me. Question what I'm saying, and go find out for yourself. Is this true or is this not true? If you want to question me after this podcast, and go fact, go fact check me. Um, I want you to do that. I want you to dig deeper and investigate. Yeah, and that's exactly what we want with people who listen to this podcast. We want you to ask questions. We want you to know more. We want you to, we want you to walk away with more knowledge about City Valley, but we also want you to be a little bit confused and, <laughs> and be like, and, you know, Ruth is not some like, oh my God, she's the city councilwoman. She's unattainable. We can't ask her questions. Message Ruth. She yeah. will respond to you. She will answer any of the questions that you have. And speaking of questions from the audience, I think we should end off with just one question we had, um, which was, how do you get to your position? How do you, if you're just a community member who's concerned about Simi Valley and want to see change, how do you get involved in Simi Valley um, leadership? Yeah. So there's there's lots of ways. You can, from public comments, you know, su submitting a public comment mm -hmm. uh, to city council meetings, to applying for neighborhood council, applying for the Simi Valley Cultural Arts Foundation, 
you know, there, there's just so many ways to get involved. Being on youth council, being on the youth advisory board, we have so many positions. Volunteering, we were asking for senior volunteers to distribute food uh, boxes to our seniors who are homebound because of COVID. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. Um, you know, I a lot of people knew me because um, because I'm a Boy Scout leader and you know and I'm involved with Girl Scouts and so that's how a lot of people knew me in the community. Was I directly involved with the government? No, you know, I had never been on neighborhood council, but it but I didn't go to the SB54 meeting with the intention of running for political office. I went because it was an issue that was important to me and I felt that my elected officials should know what my opinion was. And so just doing that, just letting your elected officials know what your opinion is. Um, and I try to respond to every email that I get um, because, you know, it's important, even if I don't agree with you, right? And that's okay if we disagree, but at least I need to know what the public is feeling or experiencing. So communicate, you know, send emails, send, you know, uh, text messages, you know, to your elected officials so that we know what you're feeling and how um, you're feeling on particular issues so that we can address those issues because that's our job is to listen to you guys. So submitting public comments, applying, um, uh, you know, for these positions in the community, um, you know, and being involved. And I, I want to thank Rice for not just inviting me, but I have to say how much I admire seeing a group of women of color so empowered and so educated in terms of technology and all the things that you guys do on all the social media platforms and you are really using your voice um, to get the message out there and I just want to tell you all how much I admire this board um, most foremostly because you many of you went and you know made your mark got your degree you know had your kids and then you came back to the community and that's what builds community, is the fact that you didn't just say, oh, I got my education, I'm done, I'm out of here. You came back and you said, okay, look at all the things that are, we need to fix this. And that is so powerful that you did that. I always quote Richie Valens when I taught at Bequine Middle School, and I said, you know, the first thing that Richie Valens did when he got his record deal is he bought his mama house in Pacoima, not in Northridge, not in Beverly Hills, in Pacoima. And his family still lives there. And I said, if you want to raise communities of color, then you're going to invest in communities of color. And I know that Tulsa, Oklahoma was an example of reinvesting in your community and lifting up that community. And we can do that here. I have full faith that we can do that here. Wow, Ruth. Well, that was such a riveting conversation. Like I said, I feel like we need to do a part two. So if you guys want to see that, please comment below and let us know to do a part two because there's so many topics that we didn't even get to go over. But I just like want to reiterate the fact that all of this, if it sounds confusing, if it sounds like, wow, that's a lot, please reach out um, and ask. And, you know, for that, for you who wanted to get involved, like me and Kelly didn't have a long, you know, I'd be lying if we said we had a long-term plan for what RISE was going to be. I mean, we wanted to see change, so we said, let's make this thing and see where it goes. And from there, you know, we found people like Ruth, we found people that wanted to help us. And, you know, although people might think that this is Ruth's agenda, that RISE is Ruth's <laughs> agenda, you know, she's just someone who reached out uh, along with a lot of other people, and we've really found a community here that wants to help you. So if you want to run, you want to, you know, start summer reach out, reach out to anybody, reach out to us. We'll do the, we'll do the, um, the researching for you. Like reach out, we'll get you connected to people. Reach out to Ruth, ask her how to get connected. There is a community here that wants to help you. Um, you just have to find them and you just have to reach out and you just have to start and do it. Yeah. And before we leave Ruth, where can the people find you? Whether that be on social media, email. Oh gosh. Well, I have, you know, I have Instagram, I have a Twitter handle, I have 
uh, Facebook, so you can pretty much, and then I have my, Is you know, it just Ruth Loevenos? Yeah, just like a, you know, my official pages say City Councilwoman Ruth Loevenos, so those are my official pages. Um, and, um, you know, rlevenos at simivalley.org. You can always email me. You can always find me at city council meetings. And if you see our target, time. just be like, where's yes. our question? <laughs> <laughs> so I do shop locally. I do shop Simi Valley. So. Yeah. Well, we'll include all of our links below as well. And don't forget to follow us on all socials at my Simi Valley on everything. Thank you so much for coming back for episode two of Dear Simi Valley. We can't wait to see you next time. And don't forget to share your questions, share your stories with hashtag Dear Simi Valley. If we see anything from Ruth, we'll forward it to her, but we'll be answering questions on there as well. Thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you next time.